it's time for another episode of fishtails thanks for coming along with me today very special guest someone that i've known for almost 20 years mr greg marlowe is here with us today to talk about his passion his computer animation talk about his work in the video game industry what he's doing now as he's teaching at east tennessee state and a little bit about some creative storytelling greg please introduce yourself Okay. You said an, another episode. I'm not the first. <laughs> now I'm curious. I should have asked more questions. Um, yeah, I'm Greg Marlowe. I um, I don't know what title to put on myself because I have a couple. I am an animator. I'm also an assistant professor and as of recently, a graduate coordinator. So I guess I'll, a little a little about me. I went to, when I was in grad school, that's when I met Lee. Um, we were in, I, I was in the digital media program at East Tennessee State. After I graduated as a master's of science from there, I went on and got hired at, uh, Firaxis Games. I was doing some, some workshops and animation online. Uh, I got hired at Firaxis Games and I worked in-house there on the Civilization franchise, XCOM franchise, uh, a couple of different games, several games that will never come out. Got a chance to work on a couple of, uh, <laughs> I always claim Bioshock Infinite, even though I only got to work on it for like four days. And uh, so I worked in house there for about five years in Maryland, came back to Tennessee in 2013 uh, as a, a lecturer at the same place I graduated from where I met Lee, East Tennessee State. About 2018, I got my MFA in writing and became an assistant professor at ETSU. Um, and all this time since I've been back, I've also been doing um, some freelance animation work. Worked on Battleborn, which was uh, sort of killed by Overwatch. And uh, I got to work most recently, well, not most recently, but one of the, the more fun accomplishments, I worked on The Pathless, which was my first launch title for a console. So it was one of the PS5 launch titles. Uh, um, say that again. I've not heard of this. So what is this? <clears throat> the, the Pathless. The Pathless. So, okay. Yeah. It's... um. Yeah, it's fun. It's a, it's, I guess, platformer action adventure. You play this, this, uh, character called the hunter and you can play as her and her eagle kind of at the same time. And it's like, it's just so much, it's so, I don't know. You, you should try it out. It's basically like, it feels good to play because you can run really, really, really fast and jump and like glide forever. And so it's just this really like gratifying gameplay experience. I didn't do any of that. I, I, I animated the boss battles and, <laughs> uh, and a lot of that, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, okay. All right. You threw all kinds of stuff out right stuff. there. there, there Podcast is, an, is over, right? There is an onion. <laughs> well, no, there is an onion to pill here. So let's start pilling this onion. Okay. So right. let's go back. Cause you threw out the history too, which is good. I, Onion like, is how people often describe me. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure they do. Greg, the onion Marlowe. It's perfect. So nothing to do with smell. Uh, <laughs> your words <laughs> for, for the people that can't see this, this podcast is being recorded remotely. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's go, let's go back for just a second. Okay. So, so yeah, so we're both at East Tennessee state. You're in the grad program. And then mm -hmm. we both ended up in the DC area. You were over in Maryland. Oh yeah. And I was in Virginia and I don't remember how we like, I don't know. I was on Facebook at the time. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but yeah, I found out, Oh, Greg Barlow is up here, but I did not know what Firaxis was. Like, I th I don't remember. You were like, I work for Firaxis. I'm like, what is that? All right. So let's just start right there. Okay. So a uh, personal history is like, we're both in the DC area. And I like, this is like 2009, I guess, mm -hmm. or 2010 at this point. And, and so I, I remember 
I got a tour of the studio, which thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I remember coming over and hanging out with you and, and your wife. But so tell everybody. So who is Firaxis? What's Firaxis? What do they do? Um, okay, so I think when you're looking at the sort of the history of gaming, um, there are all of these different game hubs all across the U.S. Like, in, and Firaxis is part of the Baltimore. Uh, DC area game hub. So I actually really think it's fun to watch how that came about because Microprose, um, way back in the day, used to be in uh, the, the Baltimore area. And when Microprose closed down, all of these different people from there sort of started their own studios. So for Access was um, started by, um, well, I guess really their claim to fame is, is Sid Meier. He's the one who does the Civilization franchise. Um, one of the few people who gets to put his name on the game. <laughs> so um, it was a started by him and a couple of other people. Um, by the time I got there, Sid was really the only one of the, I think the founding members who were still there. Um, so the really turn-based strategy is kind of what they're well known for. So the civilization, uh, they did railroads, they did um, XCOM is kind of uh, one of Sid's uh, babies from Microprose that they brought back out. Um, and so they're, you know, they're making all the Civilization games and the spinoffs and the, not spinoffs, the uh, DLCs and the uh, um, expansions and stuff. Um, most recently, uh, the thing that's probably coming out next um, and has been announced is um, Marvel's Midnight Sun, which is kind of a, a card based um, Marvel game that also has a lot of elements of XCOM, which is a little bit more of a cover based um, turn-based strategy. And so, um, and I got to work a little bit on that too. N none of the stuff I've worked on has been released on that. So I can't really show much of that. Um, so yeah, they're kind of known for that. Um, Baltimore is interesting. It's also where, or that area is interesting. It's also where uh, Bethesda and Zenimax is. Um, and it's always, in, it's like so unassuming. Like it's like all of these studios just surrounding a Wegmans and nobody really knew they were there. Right. <laughs> like I, I would go to the barber and they'd be like, what do you do? And I'm like, I work in video games. And there's like, there's video game studios here. I'm like, yeah. See that big sign up on the hill. This is Zenimax. Like, yeah. Um, well, if you don't know, Zen, to be fair, Zenimax is kind of an obscure name. If you don't yeah. know the history, if you don't know that they've been around and publishing for so long, but yeah. yeah. It totally sounds like something pharmaceutical. Zenimax. Um, Take twice daily. So. <laughs> I, I think, and there is something to this, like this this sort of you know game studios that are in suburbia in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, ID was down uh, outside Dallas, I think it was. They were in mm -hmm. Texas. And it's kind of unassuming. Well, I think sometimes, like, especially those big ones, ID, like, Firaxis was just like, it was there because that's where Sid wanted to live and you can't have that studio without him. Like, it's like, and it's like, he already had a house there. This is where we're going to put the studio. Um, and I think that a lot of places are like that when they, you know, sort of have roots, like those older studios that are kind of rooted in like some of those classic game makers. Um, like who is it? Um, oh, I can't, I shouldn't bring him up if I can't remember his name, but uh, the guy who, um, I think he was like one of the programmers for, for uh, Doom and Quake and all of those. Like he pretty much just started his own studio to make more games like that uh, not too long ago. So Yeah, uh, John Romero. Yeah, Romero. That's, yeah, that's the yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, so I think yeah. Yeah, they, they get that leverage to be like, 
yes, the studio so, is going to be in, you know. It, yeah, in my mind, as you were saying that, I was finishing that sentence a different way. When you were thinking of like studios that are built around where someone lives, I was thinking about the creators of Mist and uh, mm -hmm. Cyan Studios, I think is who they are. So, yeah. The, is it Cyan or Cayenne? Like the pepper? I don't know. I think it's Cyan. I don't know. Um, I'm not thinking Sierra. What is no, Sierra? Sierra published it, but oh, okay. Cyan, C Y A N, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, Cyan did, the, and and I feel like they their studio now for sure is around where they live, and it's kind of out in the woods. And there is an audio book, or there's a book, and I listened to the audio book um, around some history of games, and they talked about some of that in there. It was really good. Um, all right, so you're so you're at Firaxis, you're working on. I I know for a fact you did work on Civ Five. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And and so that's a. That's a triple A title. Yes. I mean, that's a uh, big yeah. known brand. I mean, I, I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm still not 100% sure what triple A means exactly. <laughs> like some people would tie that to budget. Um, Civ, Civ is a, I think it's a, it's a flagship title for sure, but like just sort of the, the way I always looked at it is Civ is a known quantity, right? Like you got, you know, that no matter, no matter what, so many people are going to buy it. Right. And so it was a very stable product. And so, um, it, it, even when they would shake it up and they would like, it's all, it always, every time a new sieve comes out, the fans are all upset about something. And then like six months later, it's the best sieve ever, you know? Um, <laughs> but you get, <laughs> there's a life cycle of it. You could be like, sieve four was released or sieve five was released and they're like, this is garbage. Civ four was the best. And then Civ Six is released, and they're like, "This is garbage." Civ Five was the best, <laughs> so you know, re repeat forever. Um, so it's very, uh, yeah, it was a very stable title. Like we we knew for sure it was going to sell, you know, four to four to six million within the first few years. Um, and so it's um, the studio is always, you know, doing something Civ based. Um, and then there's also a little bit of experimenting going around and it's, it's actually a really cool place to work because, um, because Sid was there and Sid was just kind of this resident genius. Like even when he wasn't working on a game, he was either mentoring somebody or like you would get these weird emails on Monday and Sid would be like, Hey, I came in on Sunday and made a game if anybody wants to play it. And he would just send out an email awesome. and it would be this like Frankenstein of like assets he had cobbled together and he just was trying to see if it was fun or not. And so like, I think he was just, it, it was just a cool, like there was a lot of people who, who leave that studio and go on to be designers at other studios. It's almost like a, a training school for, for how to be a designer. So. That's pretty awesome. And like designing by doing and experimenting, <clears throat> I think that's the best way to learn. I think that's the best way to prove out an idea. Um, you know, Silicon Valley and the startup culture would tell you ship, 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 yeah. ship, and you know, figure it out. Oh no, he, he, like he would start and abandon so many ideas and like the studio. I mean, like I have, like I have the titles I can say I, I shipped, but for every, I'd say for every one of those, there's like, point six titles that just never got made <laughs> like, nice. we, we messed around with them for a while and they don't they weren't working out and, you know. so, so you're at Firaxis. you mm -hmm. you contributed to the flagship product and you were an animator and i remember seeing mm -hmm. your demo reel and i remember i can't remember the character if he was like a, a horseman or something i felt like he had a staff i don't know maybe i made that up in my head but 
But tell people, like, so, like what were you animating? So, so because Civ, I've ne- honestly, mm-hmm. and, and you know, this is embarrassment. I'm not a real gamer, anyways. Mm-hmm. I've never actually played Civ. I've watched mm-hmm. people, and I understand what it's about. So, like, what were you animating uh, in um, Civ? So, Civ has two different sets of animated, well, things, I guess. Um, and it's kind of like there's two different levels to the game, right? There's the um, the tactical level or the um, the gameplay level when you're looking at that giant map, moving units around. Um, and there's a lot of little things that are animated on there. So it's like, you know, you're, you're moving. Like if it was a, guy, a little guy on a horse, it was probably like the, I don't remember if it was like the Lance Connect or something like that. Like there's all these different units. And so I did some of those, but those were... Um, Really, those were, you know, once you animate one tiny horse running, like you're not starting over from scratch. You're kind of using that as a base and doing the next one. So I did some of those early on, but most of what I did was the uh, the leader animations. So that's for the diplomacy part of the game where, you, um, where you're making deals, where you're making trades, right? Um, where you're declaring war on people or having them <laughs> declare war on you um, or just being like, hey, I'll trade you this much of this for a, you know, like some sort of diplomacy. So I would do an animation set that was, I guess, kind of half cinematic, half interactive, um, where you would, you know, propose to Napoleon, like some sort of trade deal. And he would either say yes or no, or I'm going to kill you or, you know, whatever. Um, and so most of what I did was those leader sets, um, for those, um, if, if you're counting, I've never actually counted them up, but I know that, I was there through the base game and through all of the DLCs. And I think I did more leader characters for, for the Civ five franchise than any other animator. So I did, I'm the reason everybody hates Gandhi. No, I'm not really like this. <laughs> um, I, 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 I did Gandhi. I did Napoleon, um, Genghis, um, a whole, whole bunch of different characters in that. So, and then I got to work a little bit on Civ six after I was back at ETSU too. Um, but that was more as a, a freelance artist. So, Nice. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, so let's, I want to button up one thing here and then we'll, we'll talk about you getting back to ETSU. Um, okay. So you, you just said there's cutscenes and interactive animations. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? I know what a cutscene is, but I don't know what you mean. So tell what's the difference. What's a cutscene animation and then what's an interactive animation? Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm being a jerk interactive. You can interact with it. <laughs> So um, these weren't truly interactive and I I couldn't like make him wave his hand or something um, like while playing it, but it would be like, you know, I could, I could decide the the moment to make a proposition and it would trigger a new animation. Um, So if you think of even other games like, you know, Skyrim or or something like that, where you're having a conversation with somebody and they just kind of sit there and idle until you click the button to say something else and then they'll respond and then they'll sit there and idle. Um, like that's somewhat interactive, um, you know, full, like interactive is, you know, I hit the, you know, the forward button on my, my, you know, the W key or whatever, and my character moves in real time to that. Um, and then cutscene is really just like a movie. Um, like a, and I, 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 I sort of have a tendency to use cinematic and, cutscene kind of interchangeably, but they are slightly different. Um, but really that's just a kind of like a, a passive um, moment where you can't really control any of it. Um, and then there's varying degrees of that as well. Like there's, um, I always think of like the God of War games 
where it's like the battles are, you know, the, the boss battles are really just like kind of a cinematic that asks you to click a button at the right time. <laughs> and it's like, so there's varying degrees of how interactive it is. Um, you know, Civ six, I think made the, um, um, the, the diplomacy stuff a little more interactive and, you know, where it, it, you can interact with stuff, but like there was like subtle things in the, um, in the, uh, um, so five as well. So like the, the environments were not just map paintings, like they weren't just like an image behind the character. Um, they were projected onto geometry. So, you know, there would be camera moves and like, there was a little bit of like, uh, randomness to that scenario. So it's all, yeah, it's all running off of the graphics card at that point too. It's not like pre-recorded. Um, it's having to render in real time. So that's what I wanted to clarify. Yeah. Okay. So it's not a video. It's, it's animation. It is a canned animation sequence of some kind, but mm -hmm. the engine is playing that. So the camera's fixed. Mm -hmm. I'm not as the, the player, I'm not controlling the camera at this point during a cinematic, the camera is on some kind of scripted, potentially somewhat scripted, maybe procedurally mm -hmm. uh, scripted path. And then this animation that you've created is being replayed in the engine, but it's all happening in the engine real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. There's a lot of, um, as we get like further into this and like GPUs are getting more powerful and, you know, unreal and everything like it, it is uh, the, the crossover between those two are starting to get really interesting. Um, a lot of people who are using game technology for, to create, um, passive media, passive isn't the right, linear media, <laughs> like, passive sounds like I'm insulting it somehow. Uh, it's like a bunch of lazy Just, media. Well, I passive <laughs> on you, passive, you do anything. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, like, um, you know, people are rendering full series out of, I, I want to say that, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that just in case there, there are certain, there are certain, uh, animated series that are completely rendered inside of a, a video game engine. And I know everybody, every time this comes up, somebody brings up the Mandalorian, how like the Mandalorian backgrounds are sort of real time generated inside of Unreal and then projected on, or not projected, use, like there's these giant LED screens that the characters are, that the actors are in front of. So there's a lot of crossover starting to happen where people realize sort of the benefit of being able to change something in real time and see immediately, immediate results. Um, and I think games have kind of been doing that for a while. Um, but you know, it's film, TV, and stuff like that, starting even vis visual effects are starting to take advantage of that as well. So let's move chronologically because this is how we, we ended up doing it. So let's go. Let's do some chronologically. So you're at Firaxis. You're working on games. You're working on the flagship title. They didn't put you in the corner working on something that's not going to see the light of day. You're all working on flagship product stuff, and somehow you get a call. Hey, do you want to come back to ETSU? Do you want to come back and help us? Something happened there. So how did you get back to ETSU? Oh, uh, that one. Yeah, that one's an interesting one. So, um, so what happened, um, is I, I guess I had like a, an, I want to say an early midlife crisis. <laughs> I had this point in my career that I guess as, as a student, as a, whatever, as you're, as you're pursuing your career, right. I'm going to back up just a little bit to tell this part as you're pursuing your career. you like, you feel like I am unhappy because I have not accomplished this thing I want to accomplish. And as soon as I accomplish it, 
then I'll be happy and I will have uh, then, uh, now everything will fall into place. And like I always tell the story of when I, you know, when we shipped Civ 6, or I'm sorry, uh, Civ 5, I, um, you know, it came out and like, you know, I still went to work that day. I think at least my wife did. And like that day, you know, she came home, she's like, let's go out to the store and get a copy. But, you know, like it's a PC game. So like, it's not, it's not really a GameStop. So we went to Walmart <laughs> and, and like, there it is on the shelf. I'm like, there it is. We've been working for like four years on this thing. And, um, and then you know, I, I, I didn't have like camera phones. I had a flip phone. I probably didn't make sure of that. And, um, uh, you know, I, I got a copy of it and then I was like, all right, I guess we should probably get some milk while we're here too. <laughs> it, was like, it was not this like fireworks moment of like, I have you know, finally made it. And now I, you know, like it was still like every day. Like, I think that's the moment I realized this is a career, right? And my career has to have a trajectory. Um, so I'd actually interviewed with some other places just to see, like I, I, I'm, we mentioned Zenimax. I interviewed with Zenimax online. They actually offered me a position. This was before Elder Scrolls online came out. Um, but I was still, I was still enjoying Firaxis. Firaxis is a great company. Um, and um, really the deciding factor for me, or the thing that made me sort of start questioning what I wanted to do with my career is they kind of gave me a promotion. <laughs> it's like, and it was a kind of scary promotion. I, it was, I was basically the animation lead for Civ six. And I was like, Oh, so when we ship this and game informer wants an interview, they're going to call me. And like, I, I wasn't, I was okay with that. Like I was fine with that, but it made me realize like, well then what, like what comes next? And we were living in Maryland. Um, me and my wife are both very close to our family. Um, and, I kind of had to make this decision. I'm like, you know, one career trajectory is going to continue to take me further and further away from them. And that is one life that I could live. Um, or I could try to find some way to get back closer to family, live maybe a slightly different life. Um, and you know, at that time, that's when I saw the position pop up for lecturer at ETSU. And, um, and, that's I'm sure that anybody listening right now who's like dreamed to work in games is like, wait, you quit a good job in the game industry to go like be a teach, not even a professor, just like a lecturer to like, but it was like, it was a moment that I just had to make that decision. I was like, where do I want my life to lead? And essentially I wanted it to be closer to, you know, closer to my family. I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to feel like I was just dragging my wife all over the country just so I could try to, you know, get another ship's title. And so to add context, your family is in East Tennessee. Your family yeah. is close to East Tennessee state. Yeah. My, my, my wife's family is right here. Like, like we're, they're, they're 15, uh, not 15 minutes. Like, like walking distance from the closet where I currently set recording. <laughs> <laughs> the closet had to come up eventually. Uh, yeah. And, um, and that's like maybe like, uh, 15 minutes from UTSU where I went to, uh, my, my family is probably closer to about two hours from here, but it's still, I mean, I went and saw them this weekend. Um, so yeah, it was like, I knew that this was one of the few opportunities that would get me back closer to that. Um, and when I, when I did it, I was, it was kind of like, I, I thought it was going to be more disruptive to my life goals than it actually was. 
I was like, I guess I'm giving up on the career of animation and now I will sacrifice myself to the betterment <laughs> of the next generation of animators. But no, yeah. it was like within like six months, I you know, I think Firaxis called and asked if I wanted to do some contract work. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that. And so um, so that's actually kind of the, the best of both. Um, I, I will say that the lecturer position was a, that was not a, um, prestigious job like that 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 is sure. the that is just a step over like um <laughs> unemployed like they're, they're basically like you're going to teach four classes and there's not a lot of benefits to it financially or anything um are you adjunct but, uh, at that point are you an adjunct it, lecturer it's ba it's basically a, the the next step from adjunct it's a, okay it's a full-time adjunct um but it's paid about the same as adjunct um per class and so it was it was a a pay cut. Like, I mean, just like every, every step of it on paper sounded like a bad idea. Um, but it was moving back to Tennessee. The pay cut wasn't that bad because of the cost of living difference at the time was, was more significant than it is now. Um, and eventually like I, I knew that there was a pathway for me. Uh, well, not, not for everybody, but I, I knew that I could make a pathway to whatever the next professor position was. And I'm like, all right, I'll play the long game. And, um, so I came back, um, started basically started walking the walk of a professor. I was like, I know this is, I know I'm, you know, a lecturer teaches four classes and they don't have any like real service or um, well, at least no research requirement. Like I didn't have to publish or do anything like that. Um, but I just started doing it anyway. I started publishing, started like, you know, doing things. And then I was also doing the, the contract work at the same time. Um, so the last missing piece was I had an, a master's of, of science. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's not familiar with academia, there's a really, there's a, there's this concept of a terminal degree. It's like the highest degree you can get in a pathway. And for most pathways, that's a, a PhD, but for the arts, um, an MFA is a terminal degree. Well, since there's a higher degree than a master's of science, which is what I had, it wasn't terminal. And most places uh, who are hiring a professor want a terminal degree. Um, and I was like, I don't really want to, I don't really want to do another degree in animation. I had a bachelor's, I had a master's. I went to an online school for a little while, got a certificate. I'm like, I'm going to do something else that I just enjoy. So I started uh, at Lindenwood. Um, they had an online program, Lindenwood University in, in Missouri. I had an online program for writing. And uh, I was like, I want to write stories about time machines and robots and get an MFA for it. And so I did. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a conversation at one point. I was like, because you had, you had told me that you were doing this writing stuff. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. like you like writing. I don't remember when we talked about this, but I remember having conversations with you. And you're like, yeah, I love creative writing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just think it's fascinating because you're like a creative powerhouse and you're very talented. Like you're, you're good at everything that you do. You're good at the writing and you're good at the animation. So a, a part of this, like where I, I'm, I'm certainly like, Greg, I am jealous. Like I can't tap into creativity anymore. It's a, it's a brick wall for me. That's the challenge for me right now in my life. I don't remember how to be creative. I, I like, I don't know. I hit this wall. It's just blank. It's just empty space. There's nothing there. I can't move through it. It's like a force field and you can write and you can animate and you have these ideas. And the thing that I noticed is even talking to you and people can't see you. They can't see you smiling and they can't see you getting excited talking about this stuff and talking about these other games you know, in this, this creative, you know, the creative expression that you get and really what, what all of this is, is like, you know, entertainment arts. Mm -hmm. 
where there is so much around, you know, entertainment and, and it's educational too, but yeah, I'm, I am jealous. There's so much creativity. So how, when did you figure out this? You're like, yeah, I want to, I mean, you touched on it. You're like, yeah, I want this master's in writing. I want to write about robots and stuff. So when did you start writing? Oh, I, when I was seven years old, <laughs> seven. Yeah. When I, uh, I don't, maybe a little older than that. Um, I, um, I want to say for my tenth birthday, I asked for an electric typewriter. Um, and it was like a Smith Corona. Like, <laughs> like I still feel so old even talking about. It. At least it was like those old like clackety clacks. It was like a, um, uh, but I, I, I was really into it. Um, when I was in fifth grade, um, I started writing um a short story it was like fifth grade it was like one page right uh it's, it's called the phantom but i, I misspelled phantom <laughs> like i thought there was like I, I don't remember how i spelled it but because i still don't remember how to spell it correctly. <laughs> um and there's like one page and it was like this like it was like a horror story i was really into stephen king at the time and um and then in I fifth grade, the, you're really into Stephen fifth, oh, King. I jumped straight from Beverly Cleary to Stephen King. No joke. Perfect. I really did. I was like, <laughs> this Ramona book's great. I'm going to read it. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I, I, I was reading like a lot of this horror stories and stuff. And uh, so I tried writing my own and it was terrible. It was like this like serial killer. Like, but he dies at the end of the first page. And then I was like, I want to keep writing more. So like, he gets resurrected and he's a zombie. Like I was up to like 20 pages, like handwritten pages of this like terrible story. Like, like a, a Ninja Turtle spinoff came into it. it was, <laughs> but, um, I think a lot of it came from, uh, you know, my, my mom likes to read a lot and I think she kind of passed that on to me. Um, sort of the, the interest of it. And I think it's all kind of, you know, you mentioned all the creative stuff. It really is just, it's sort of, it all kind of circles back to that. Like I like a good story. Um, and you know, how that story gets made is, you know, I, I mean, there's the, the narratives that you play through in games. Like I just, you know, I just finished playing the Spider-Man games and that story is just amazing. It's great. Like the, the Spider-Man game is probably the best Spider-Man movie out there. <laughs> um, okay. That's good to know. The, I've not played any of, I don't have a PlayStation oh, and I know it's coming to PC, so maybe it's yeah. already on PC. I, so. I really like I really liked Miles' story, but I'm kind of a uh, the Miles Morales one. But I'm also kind of a, a Miles fanboy too. It's like that you know, games are a story, even if it's not got a predefined story, you're still playing it. So you can they call it like the Ludo narrative, like you're you're telling a story to yourself. Like I invaded Poland, and then I you know, okay. um, but you know, movies are stories. I love TV, and like I think it all just kind of everything that that you're call that you're saying is creative, I think is circles back to some sort of story. Like I, I did, I was in a band in college and like still like just kind of write songs for fun, but they're all like sort of story based songs. <laughs> like, like, ballads. Like, yeah. I'm writing like these ballads on my lute and the <laughs> but, love it. But like, it, I think it's all that to me. I just love the idea. And I think that's what it came down to. Uh, the, the crazy thing is I don't think I'm actually a great, verbal storyteller um i i my wife is always picking on me because i'll be like halfway through a story and she'll be like what are you even talking about and i'm like oh i forgot to mention this really important part at the beginning <laughs> so, so um yeah but i think it all like i just enjoy a story and sometimes when that like i'll just have an idea and i'll be like nobody's wrote that story i guess i have to and so that's the 
like where it all kind of comes from. That's interesting. So there's a turn of phrase. I have another friend that we, we talk about this all the time. This turn of phrase came, I learned it like three years ago. This is something I grew up hearing, but I heard this phrase that he just read it in a book and he sent me a screenshot of the book. He's like, Oh, here it is. It, the, the turn of phrase, or maybe it's a colloquialism. I don't know what, what you call these things. It's <clears throat> horses for courses. Have you ever heard this? Horses for, I, I feel like I have, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> that horses seems familiar. For, yeah, horses for courses. That there are horses for each type of course uh, that you would have run a horse on. So there are horses for courses. And I love, I don't know, just what you were talking about. That's what came to my mind, horses for courses. Because you're talking about all the storytelling stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's that's it. Though. That's it. That's why I can't do this. And I'm so attracted to the technical side of things. I'm so attracted to the analytical side. I'm attracted to the look of things way more than the like story behind them. Like mm-hmm. I have so much fun playing that there is a tech demo from Epic games. That is their matrix, the nanite technology tech demo. Yeah. And I will play that for hours. It's embarrassing. I will play that mm-hmm. for hours and there's nothing you really can do in there. You fly around and turn it from daylight to nighttime and drive a car, you know, and Microsoft flight simulator just sucks my life away. And, and there's mm-hmm. no story. I mean, like to your thing, and I'd never heard that either. What did you say it was Ludo? What was it? The, the Ludo narrative. Ludo narrative. A, so, a lot of people call it emergent narrative too. Like it emerges from gameplay. But yeah. So there's not much of an emergent narrative to me playing these landing challenges, you know, in, except, except for when you crash. Well, <laughs> and that's got a, it's got a big story there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I, I've always liked the technical side. I mean, even when we were in school, you know, so I, I'm around all these people that can animate and model and create this stuff. And all I wanted to do was render it, like, give me your stuff and I'll render it. And then, you know, if I'm rendering it, like I will, you know, I don't remember if you were there one night or not. Some, I know Chris Bobco was, uh, mm-hmm. who's somebody else. I should probably get to talk to me, but yeah, give him a go. I turned the whole lab into my render farm and I eventually learned how to turn the whole building into my render mm-hmm. farm. It wasn't just the one lab. It was all the labs, That's but cool. you know, like, I don't know. I just love doing that stuff, but I, I guess, you know, it's like, I'm not, I don't even hesitate at this point to say I'm good at, I'm decent at it. You know, I'm decent at this sort of stuff, but I always look kind of over the fence. I'm like peering over the fence. I'm Wilson, you know, remember from home improvement, I'm Wilson. Like you can see my eyes I, popping up and I'm like, Hey neighbor, doing some neighbor. neat stuff over there. <laughs> Heidi ho. So that, but that's, uh, I mean, it's the same from this side of the fence too, though. Like I'm peeking over and being like, how'd you get that render to look so good? <laughs> And that's, you know, that people talk about like AI taking jobs and stuff. I've been playing with Dolly and all that. I was just oh, like yeah. tangent, you know, to satisfy me. But like, I want to hear you. I want to know what you think about Dolly. Cause I've been playing with Dolly and it doesn't, and, and some of the other ones too, like, um, uh, mid journey and yeah. all that. But I don't think the AI stuff is going to remove artists at all from, from the mm-hmm. equation. But I think there is a certain type of work. That is it employs people right now. That's not going to employ people in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, concept art potentially. Yeah, you know this this like emergent thing. So I want to know what do you think? Because I typed in, I went into Dolly and I typed in 3D render white glasses on a blue background with white lace, and it actually gave me a pretty good render. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's pretty good. Like, and I didn't have to open 3D Studio Max or Maya or Houdini or whatever, Blender. I didn't have to open anything. 
I didn't have to render anything, and it looks like that. Now, it gets wonky because, like, it does the AI thing or it makes this weird stuff that's kind of, like, in a dream. But I don't know. There's, like, something there. And so there's a part of me that thinks, like, this lighting and rendering parts of things. I think there's analysis. Like, you can train these models. Like, it's, it's, it's all these models, deep learning models that generate this stuff. And I think you could train them. This is what a good you know, like lit scene looks like, and it yeah. can just start doing kind of look dev for you. Yeah. I mean, it's all just pixels, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> it's like as soon as the computer can make them make the right pixels, then it wins. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in two schools of thought. Um, I like everything. I have way too much to say about it. <laughs> but um, So you will remember that when you were at ETSU, um, you had... We had a um, an animator who came to visit, um, and I will not mention his name, um, from a studio. And it, like this was a guy who had won an Academy Award um, for an animated short film. Came to talk to us and like give us this talk. And um, and I remember like he was he was giving this presentation, and at the time he was working for a game studio. And um, and I remember like the only thing I remember from this whole thing is like at one point I I think it was it was me or you one asked the question of him, like one of these presentations We're like, so where do you think, and this was what, 2002, I guess, something like that, 2004, I don't know. Um, one of us asked like, so where do you think the, uh, the animation industry is going to be in five years? And he goes, you don't want my answer for that. And I was like, yeah, we do. And he's like, there's not going to be keyframe animators anymore. Motion capture is going to take over everything. And like, there won't be any jobs for that ever again. And I was <laughs> <laughs> and that pretty much just killed the whole presentation. We're all like, all right, well, we're going to go home and rethink our lives. <laughs> the mocap, the mocap doom and gloom. That, I don't know. It kind of came and went as an outsider. It came and went. I know they still use it heavily, but okay, keep going. I guess like, so there's the part of me that, that wants to look at um, AI in that same way. And I do think that like, like there's reasons to feel like it can live alongside you know, all other, you know, forms of creativity. Um, but AI in general, I'm a little more like that is a, a paradigm shift, um, you know, po politics aside, but um, as a Andrew Yang um, who was running for president a few years ago, he's the, the, the thousand dollar guy. That's the yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. um, I read his book and he is very much like concerned about, what automation is going to do to the um, to to repeatable tasks, right? right. Um, and it's not necessarily that it's. I think really it's it's a big paradigm shift in that like we have to rethink like the model we've built around work, like what work actually is. Absolutely. Like, How we have the value that you put into human toil. That's right. Right. And and like he has some like it was it was a brilliant book. Like he. I, I, the, there's other reasons to decide whether to vote for him or not. Um, but it was, a, it was an amazing book and he talked a lot about, um, sort of, I mean, and I, I keep thinking of that. Like we, we built this system, right? We built this whole idea of like, Oh, we have to work a 40 hour work week or we are not valuable to society. And that work only is beneficial if it's in increasing capital for, you know, what I mean? and I'm like, I, I think, I feel like that's what it's going to disrupt. It's going to disrupt this idea that the only point of art is to make money for something. Um, 
and I think that's the same with other automation. I mean, you know, there's still going to have to be systems that are built around making money, but I mean, they're obviously, you know, if, if there's human beings driving trucks in the next 15 years, then like, I'm going to be very surprised. <laughs> um, you know, all of those people are going to have to, you know, find things that still give them a reason to, to be alive. Right. And I think that my hope is that we start to, invest in things or i guess invest not not in money wise but invest like our interest invest our like uh our feelings of worth in things that aren't just there to make more money right like that the idea that if what you want to do all day long is um you know help elderly people install windows 11 on their computer like and that gives you a good feeling and like lets you get through life like that is something that like right now, old people can't install Windows 11 on their computers because it's not profitable to build a system. <laughs> and like, I feel like there's, I'm, I'm thinking that that's, that's more of the questions that's going to, to spiral. I feel like AI art is, um, I was not, I'm impressed with the output. Um, but I think in the same way that Photoshop didn't kill photography, like the same way motion capture didn't kill animation, it, it will find some way to live with it. Um, I'm I'm terrible at futurism to be able to predict what that will be, um, but I, I think that there is a way that it can it can live, and I think there's a a lot of fear surrounding it right now, like a, particularly from artists, and, and it may actually impact us for a little while. Um, but I think that you know there there are things that we can there's room for both of it, both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like that, that's my thing with, with the, my example with rendering is that there are certain things that look development when you're just experimenting with things. There's just, you can shortcut that, you know, you can get an idea on something. You can shortcut it with AI that I don't have to. And, and, and even me, if, if it were me driving the computer, that is me pushing those pixels around. I, I actually want that assistance. I want yeah. that assistance to, to let me, you know, click one button and see four versions of a thing and it takes minimal effort. So one of the things that I, I read, I guess yesterday, um, which I think is an interesting roadblock I didn't see coming, the uh, group that gives copyright, like distributes copyright, continue to deny copyright to AI artists. Um, so because they say that it requires authorship, like human authorship. And so I think that that's an interesting question is like at what... And it's actually something I've, I've submitted proposals for this talk. At what point are we willing to consider the human, the author of these AI driven systems, right? Because if you look at the prompts that people type in to get these amazing results, there, like, there's you, an art. Thank to you. That there too. is absolutely an art to this prompt. I don't, what do you call it? Is it prompt architecting? Is it prompt hacking? I, I mean, yeah. It, there's really something prompt. Are you a like prompt it. astronaut? Because I, I used to joke, you know, anybody that takes something too far, right? They go to space with it. You're an architect astronaut. You're a type astronaut. Uh, so yeah, you're a prompt astronaut. You're you're in orbit with these prompts. Yes, I have seen the one that won the that award. That's that's you know, it was very controversial. This guy won an art show, but yeah, the prompt was crazy. Oh, but one of the things that's great about those prompts, I've been trying some of them. I've been using. Um, I used Dolly and, and mid journey for a little while, but I started trying um, one of the stable diffusion builds. Uh, Cause there's an, somebody put together a nice GUI for it. But when I just typed in like, uh, you know, I want to 
see a horse, you know, driving a race car or something. <laughs> like, I did not get good results. It was, and it was like very repetitive. It looked very computer generated. Um, anything with grass, the grass just looked like the old clone stamp tool in Photoshop repeating forever. So like I started looking up, how do you make better prompts? And a lot of the results is just using like keywords and tags from stuff like ArtStation or, um, places where you're getting it. And like where you're getting good results is by putting in other artists names, oh, gosh. like yeah. influenced by this artist. And it's like, not even like a somebody that you may know it's just somebody who has a lot of work that's in that database and it's going to start pulling that and pulling from that specific artist and i'm like when your uh when your prompt architecture <laughs> includes another artist's name do they get credit <laughs> do they do they like are you gonna have to start like citing your work in apa format <laughs> Like, there's just a lot of interesting questions. I love it. the whole and, ethics um, of this. Yeah, I hadn't even. I really oh, don't spend fine. that much time thinking about the ethics of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a. Uh, it's this week's NFT. <laughs> well, so are <laughs> NFTs mostly just these things? Like, I know what an NFT is for everybody listening. The first, if there is someone at this point, and there's no disgrace in this, if you've not enough familiar with this, NFT is non fungible token and it's this idea that you could have some sort of ownership of a digital asset it's a receipt it's a fancy receipt and they have value they have real value like if i could track my car title as an nft there's some real value to that i can prove on this ledger the shared global ledger that i'm the owner of this asset this this title this piece of paper that ties it to my car but but people are trading images and they're buying things like souvenirs. NASCAR. Have you seen this? NASCAR has been pushing NFTs. Tony Stewart riled up some fans by some by having, and I quote, a major announcement, and it was that he was going to do some NFT stuff. But I, I, you know, I know generative art was a big part of that. Are are all NFTs generative? I guess they're not all generative because I could just make something and I could somehow do the NFT. I don't even know how you make an NFT, but. I think the I think the rest of them are stolen. <laughs> is that? But is that? Oh my god, that's stolen. Is that, <laughs> but is that how it got started? I mean, did this AI art like what launched us into NFT land? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was that or if it was the other way around. I feel like um, people uh, people were. I don't know. I, I I think it's there's a lot of stuff colliding because I've been starting. I've been seeing a lot of stuff with AI for other solutions of stuff too. Like there's a an AI motion capture right now uh, called Move.ai, um, and it's essentially like you can have like two cameras and it's getting like one. You can have it with one camera, but you can have like somewhere between one to five cameras and you're getting like motion capture data that's as nice as like a, a studio. And what it's really doing is it's just using AI to be like, oh, in these scenarios, the feet usually don't come off the ground. So we're going to stick the feet to the ground. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying that. <laughs> you may not, be. but it's AI generated. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot of it is using like tracking and then combining that with AI to get a, a really nice solution. Like it's all over the place. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that it's, there was a lot of people who were trying to, to use, um, stuff for the, uh, you know, deep fakes and stuff like that. And I think that really started the, the, is it style gan, 
that really felt to me like the the turning point. Uh, was it Style Gan Two or whatever that was like, wow, that's impressive. Um, it all feels kind of derivative from those systems in some way. I don't know behind the scenes of it, but I'm sure that part of the interest in the you know AI generated art is um, that it can be used for an NFT later. Unfortunately, I think as it's getting popularity, the NFT bubble is popping. And <laughs> it's just like they're passing each other on the way. So ships passing in the night. Um, I, I, I want to look something up because you were talking about style again. Now, is that NVIDIA's thing? Um, I'm going to Google it while we're talking here. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe um, StyleGAN is uh, basically an AI way of of copying an image style, but a lot of that is what is used because you can do it with any any image database and it will eventually try to generate images that are alike in certain stylistic ways. And I think a lot of that is what people use for um, like the deep fakes of, of faces and stuff. I don't know. I was like, yeah, I was like ankle deep and like researching some of it for a while. And then I got distracted by Spider-Man and Spider-Man two. <laughs> well, I'm happy to tell you as I'm looking here, style gan three is out. So uh, you can now you start, oh. but yeah, that is from NVIDIA. Yeah. So, and I forget Oh, okay. GAN G A N it's a generative adversarial network. I knew I'd like, uh, yeah. Um, actually, I have heard that before. I just did not remember. So the thing that I like about the NVIDIA-style stuff that I've seen, especially with landscapes, is that the human is still involved, right? I'm still sitting down. I'm like, if you've seen the landscape generator, it's like, all right, here's some brown, and this that means it's ground. Here's some blue, and that means it's water. Oh, yeah. You know, here's some green. That's foliage or grass, whatever. And I think that's neat. I think the idea, you know, that I can rough in something and it can kind of fill in the blank or it can kind of paint by numbers. I think that's pretty cool. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I like the idea that, you know, more of this AI stuff and just broadly the umbrella AI stuff that it, stuff. it's here to help us. Mm -hmm. And actually I can tell you because this, this idea is not an original idea for me. I was in a room uh, with some you know, machine learning and AI folks from IBM in 2018 and in this meeting the the person said and I, i'll look up her name i don't remember uh her name off the top of my head but i think she was like cto of their emerging tech section or their ai section mm. uh, she did some stuff with watson but basically she said how did they use the phrasing was like it's a cognitive enhancement tool that the human is in the loop it's it's making the human better it's not replacing the human and i really liked that and i bought i was drinking that kool-aid i liked her sales pitch i'm taking that for, for everything wholesale i'm like yes it's here to help us I'm, yeah. I'm still in the loop and so i like the nvidia paint the landscape thing i do too i think that that's actually i think one of the reasons that i'm like stable diffusion doesn't work unless you have a whole bunch of images to base it off of. Like, and so that means like, I, I, I think it's with, uh, like that would be my concern about it is that that just means we're in, um, in for a decade of the same art over and over again. Like eventually people will get tired of that look, whatever that look is. And the only way to get that is to make a whole bunch of new art. And like, I, I think that's going to be a turning point. If something could make something completely original in style, that would be, but right now it, it all has to be derivative from something else. Well, you know, I think it's also like, 
I mean, I'm already, cause I'm following like some, some threads of people posting their work and, and you can, you know, in the same way, like in Photoshop, we were all like in the you know late nineties being like, Oh no, people will never be able to tell. And we'll be able to Photoshop the president's face on the, we can all tell. <laughs> you can see something like, uh, that's, that's Photoshop. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, except for the, people who are still on Facebook, they can't tell. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I feel like that I'm already seeing that. Like you can, you can look at an AI generated art and just be like, uh, yeah, I can, I can tell for some reason that that sure. is. Um, and it's not just the artifacting and stuff. Like there's just a, it's kind of a feel to it. Well, there's the uncanny Valley, right? There's going to be a whole nother mm -hmm. uncanny Valley here too. I'm sure. Well, for me, my, like my bigger concern, and maybe it's just because I'm like the situation I'm in is the teaching side of this. Like, <laughs> like when somebody can type in a prompt and get something that looks pretty good, like, you know, that's a, that's a quick way around, an, you know, a certain assignment, you know? Well, and so you show your work, right? Show your work. Give me the source work, file, yeah. show your work. Let me have a PSD with layers, right? Yeah. Let me have your your scene file. I think it's a Reddit or something that I follow that's uh, shit academics say. And one of my favorites, like if I could, if I were going to get a tattoo, it would say that it's like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, it's going in the syllabus. <laughs> 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 so, I love it. And it is so true to like, because like it's, every time I give an assignment, it's like, oh, apparently I had to say that out loud that you can't do that. <laughs> so you'd be surprised. <laughs> my one my one foray with teaching, I can tell you, wow, do kids not know how to push every single boundary? Like They are extremely creative in ways that oh, yeah. they can try to push a boundary and get around a rule. Well, that's not exactly what you said. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I had students who, uh, turned in essentially the same file one semester and they were, they were first year students. And I like, I emailed them and I was like, you know, what's going on here? And they were like, oh yeah, we collaborated on that project. <laughs> it's like, wait, I had, to, I had to say <laughs> that you have to do your own. <laughs> that was something I actually had to say out loud. Um, yeah, it is. It's interesting. Okay. So we took this tangent, which is great because I love tangents, but I do want like to have some closure to things, uh, before we run out of time because, okay, we went down this tangent because you're back at ETSU. I was asked about the creative writing. Mm -hmm. So you got your MFA, you got your terminal degree, you got your MFA in writing. Mm -hmm. And so what's the status now? Do you have tenure? I go up for tenure. Crap, I should know this. Um, at the beginning of next fall, so so basically, I have this summer to to finish everything up, and I, I like I've done like some pre tenure stuff where like we sort of do like a rough pass of what my tenure document would look like at like the halfway point. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll submit for tenure in I think it's like August of, of next year. I should probably find out the actual <laughs> date. Um, but yeah, I'll go up for that, and then that process takes quite a while actually because it has to go all the way up the line and like get reviewed at every step of it. So I think it'll take a, about half a year at that point. So, so what goes in your tenure packet for a creative 
you know, instructional position like this, you mentioned research, you mentioned publishing. Are you doing research? Are you publishing? What is, I guess for us, I say us, like I'm doing this too, but for you, uh, I guess publishing would be uh, something like to do with SIGGRAPH or an ACM publication or there it other can, but, things. Uh, so for us, cause like, you know, there's teachers in the art department too, and they're not like, re they don't have to like reinvent a paintbrush to, <laughs> you know, to, to be. So for, for anybody in the, the creative side, um, and I, and it's nice because I'm in digital media, which is kind of got one foot in tech, one foot in art. Um, and so we get to kind of what well, the, the phrase that we usually use is research or creative activity. And so really all that is, is a, like, it's a safeguard to say that your peers have reviewed the things that you are doing and they're saying it's not garbage, right? Because I don't want somebody from the biology department telling me if my art is good or not, right? And and so like, right. so rather than the biology department, you know, reviewing my work and telling me if I deserve to be a teacher or not, I have to go out and get peer reviewed in some way. So that could be a, a, a paper, re, you know, research, a study, anything that would be published or presented in a conference. So there's different levels of that published by like double blind peer reviewed in a journal is probably like the highest end of the, the research. And like, you know, you mentioned SIGGRAPH, like SIGGRAPH is actually like, that's still like, that's, that's big. Like that's still like a, a, a pretty prestigious thing to get accepted anything into SIGGRAPH. But usually that is a little bit more like I discovered a thing or I created a new thing, not I made a pretty version of the old thing. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, that's but that's why they have like the animation festivals and stuff. So yeah, animation festivals, film festivals would also count um, as as creative activity uh, because those are often there's a, a jury or uh, a, a judging process, and so just getting accepted is considered peer review. It was reviewed that it was good enough to get into this exhibition. So yeah, like gallery exhibitions would also count. I'm trying to make an argument that professional work should also way into that. I mean, if anything is peer review, it's a boss telling you whether this is good enough to send an invoice for or not. <laughs> like, but I, I totally understand why that's sort of seen as like paid work as well. like that that's slightly different. So, and so the interesting thing is usually every department gets to write their own tenure and promotion guidelines and say, this is what we value as a department and what we consider uh, applicable tenure, you know, material. Every teacher has teaching, research, and service. Those are the the, the trio. Um, service is the one that, like, you can have all the service you want. If you don't have the teaching and the research, you're probably still <laughs> going to get tenure. What is service? Like, what's an example of Committees, service? Committees, um, volunteering. So there's different levels of it. There's service to the to the department, service to the the university, uh, service to the community. Um, so I, I, you know, unpaid consulting. I'm putting in. I, I do some stuff with our church uh, that helps out with the media um, for the. You know, we've been live streaming the services since COVID, and I'm counting that because it is media related as like service to the community. But even like volunteering at like a um, you know, like a soup kitchen or something like that could, you know, count a service. It's a little less, um, it, it's usually best if it can also be about your discipline. Like if I made something for a nonprofit or something like that. And the teaching is actually more than you think too, because it also is about like developing new curriculum, developing new ways you teach certain things, not just like 
I showed up and I taught and I didn't get terrible SAIs. Oh boy. Those student reviews, they, they crucified me. I, I had some, uh, I've had some interesting ones. I had one, one year, like I was reading the comments and I was like, I don't understand what's happening in this comment. And then I went a little bit further down and I read another comment and it's like these giant blocks of, of text. And eventually I realized they had just copied and pasted a whole chapter of 50 shades of gray into the comments section. And I was like, I don't know if I should take this as a a positive or negative feedback. Yeah. Students are interesting. (laughs) Yeah. The department that I taught in the students received a participation grade for filling out their reviews. And that was a standard like thing. And so it was, you know, students had to participate in class to get part of their grade and they had to fill out the review as part of the participation. And that made sure there was no funny business. Everybody was, was getting the reviews in and yeah, boy, oh, it was bad. And it was the first time I'd ever taught anything, uh, you know, to come into a class like that. And unfortunately <laughs> it was just horrible timing for all parties involved and the students, they had had some, they, they, and I think for three classes in a row in this kind of web tech area, they had had adjunct instructors and one of the adjuncts had no supervision through most of the course and they taught them Dreamweaver. And this was in 2018. I didn't know Dreamweaver. Right. So they taught them Dreamweaver and they didn't like, so they show up into this class, the 500 level class. Okay. So like, I, like I have all the excuses in the book. I can defend myself. It was a 500 level class. They saw the syllabus and we get into like third week of the syllabus and they can't do the work Mm -hmm. and they're mad at me. (laughs) I mean, it's fine to be mad at me over the situation, but you can't be mad at me. I didn't teach your other classes. I can't, you know, I was told to prepare a class one Mm -hmm. way uh, and that this, there was this baseline of what these kids would know, but, yeah, they roasted me. And it was interesting reading what they had to say about me because they were like, Lee's the type of person I would love to get a beer with. <laughs> this is in the same review. Okay. They say this in under one thing. Lee is the type of person I like to get a beer with. And then like the next question or two questions down, it's like, Lee's the worst instructor I've ever had. And I was like, I can totally believe that. I can 100% believe that because it just went off the rails by like the fourth week. We had to leave the parts of the syllabus behind. You know, and, and we had to do remedial stuff to try to get them up to what they should know going out into the careers they were going to have. So, oh man, it was rough. Before I came to ETSU, I taught at, um, I'll not name the school, but it was one of the for-profit, uh, art schools, um, out there that is a chain. Um, and I, I didn't know anything about it. They called me out of the blue while I was working at Firaxis and they're like, Hey, we need somebody to teach this class. And we saw that you have a master's degree. Would you want to, you know, you know, drive up here and teach every, you know, one class a week. And I was like, sure, I'll try it. And, um, you know, I'd already taught as an adjunct at ETSU, um, a little bit before that, but I got up there and it was the graduating seniors. And it was like, it was essentially supposed to be like 3d art level four. And, in the syllabus of 3D art level four, they were going to learn like some of the effects stuff and it by name mentioned stuff in Maya. So it had to be taught in Maya, but 3D art level one, two, and three, the teacher didn't know Maya. So he taught it in something else. And I think it was 3D studio max. And so I showed up and I was like, what? (laughs) And so it was, 
Like I, I have never, I, I, they were, they were good students. They, they worked really hard and they tried really hard, but they absolutely hated that school. Like they were so like, uh, and so that was my last interaction with that school too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I felt bad. I felt genuinely bad for the students. Like I said, I was going through, I had some stuff going on too. So, yeah. um, it, it was hard being present. And I know, I know I wasn't in the best place that I could be because I wasn't, you know, able to put, I wasn't a full-time faculty member. I couldn't put that amount of work into things. I showed up for my office hours. I had students show up for office hours, just like every teacher anywhere will tell you the students that do the best of my class are the ones that come to office hours. It's so true. It's not a favoritism thing or anything, you know, nothing like that. They come, they ask questions, they fix their deficiencies, and they do well in the class. Oh, they, the ones who do um, poorly will show up to your office hours that last week of class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When they when they ready to phone in. That was in one of our reviews, too. I had a lot of seniors in my class. And up front, in the syllabus, that's all, the thing I love about the syllabus. Is I was like, folks, you knew what you were getting into when you took the class the syllabus is published and it explains how their grade is calculated and 40 percent of their grade was their final project so you gotta do good on your final project we don't have a final exam we have a project you gotta do good on it and so they're roasting me in the reviews like here i am a senior not knowing if i can graduate because i have to have a c to graduate and i don't even know what my grade's gonna be it's like well fact yes you don't know what your grade is gonna be Till you do this work, but I don't know. They were making this way bigger than it yeah. had to be in their head. They were just, I mean, I get it. I remember being a student, but they were stressing about the wrong stuff. Well, did it, did so, it sour you on being a teacher? Would you ever teach again? I, it didn't sour me on it at all. No way. Um, what it, what it made me realize is that I'm just not, I don't think I'm very good at it. I think. I could be good at it, but it would take a lot of work. And I, it, I love the presenting. I love the lecturing. I love the demoing. I love all of that. The breaking a concept down, trying to figure out what makes it click for one individual versus another individual. That is tough. That's really, really tough. Yeah. It's, a, it's hard. I, I think the, um, that was my, my surprise. Like this is the, the thing that I think was the biggest surprise to me coming back to teaching. I mean, I taught as a grad student, but the biggest surprise to me coming back to teaching is that it wasn't a classroom full of me. Like uh, it was like the a classroom is very diverse in like personalities and interests levels. And I think once you've been out in the professional industry for a while, like you surround yourself with competence, right? Everybody is right. so good at what they do. I remember the first like art meeting I went to at Faraxis, like I was used to create uh, critiques from college where you, you, know, you tear somebody apart and like, and I was just like, oh, this is so good. Like, I didn't, like I was just so blown away. And, you know, eventually there are things you critique, but everybody there knows what they're doing because they were the person in class who was like the best in their class or one of the best in their classes. And then you get back to teaching and you realize that only maybe 10 or 15% of the class is that person, right? The people who are there and attentive and excited about learning the thing you're talking about. Yep. And the rest of them are like, I, like I, this, this semester has been, well, these last few semesters, I have students who, well, it was like last semester, I had two students who would come into my class. It was a small class of like seven people. And they would sit there and look at their phone 
with earbuds in while I was lecturing. And like, I called them out on it. Like that next semester, I was like, if you're going to do that, just don't show up to my class. And they were like, ah, I just, I have, a, I have uh, focus issues. And like, this helps me like to kind of, and I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I think eventually like you kind of, that's the hard part. If you were just going and teaching to a class full of uh, people who were excited and working, like it would be the best job in the world. Um, it's that you also feel like you have to drag this one kid along who's like, dad made him be there. And like, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, and, and I think the other thing you for, I forget at least is that, um, I learned everything I know by screwing it up once and they haven't had the yep. chance to screw it up yet. And it's really hard for me to not be like, no, 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 don't do that. Do it this way. Cause it'll, you know, I'm like, no, go ahead and break it. It's broken. Now you'll know not to do it that way anymore. <laughs> like, and like, that's called learning. <laughs> well, there's something too, right? It's, it's, it's like a reinforcement learning and, and you, know, you, and you experience it and you remember it because you experience it. <clears throat> it's a big thing. I, have noticed about myself looking back and I figure out like, how do I learn? And like, now I know, like I really have to do something for it to stick. I can understand a lot of concepts talking about them. And I, and it's like, I always, this, my analogy or metaphor, I always say this the wrong way. I guess it's a metaphor that I give people. I was like, it's like physics homework. I remember being in physics class in college at East Tennessee state. <laughs> and I remember watching this, this, uh, instructor draw a parabola, you know, it's like, Oh, this is a rock. And he draws this, the, the arc on the board and he talks about the equations and he does. So I was like, yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. You know, and I don't remember what the equation was. It wasn't as simple as like, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. It's like, yeah, got it. Puff piece of cake. And then you go home hours later and you go to do the homework and you're like, oh, I don't understand any of this. And I think that's the difference, right? You can nod along with stuff and think you got it. Then you go home. And so you're in physics class, listening to someone that knows what they're talking about, explain it. And you're like, yes, yes. I hear what you're saying and it makes sense. And I agree. Yes. Then you go home and you realize, okay, I don't have this ability to independently execute how do you close that gap oh, i don't know <laughs> no that i yeah, that's the well that's the learning right that's closing that gap that is yeah, the learning so the one for me is the graph editor for animators they they fight with the graph editor so much and for those of you who don't really know that it's, it's basically just a bunch of curves that define the xyz coordinates of stuff and it's motion is just you know, changing a value over time in those XYZ coordinates. And it ends up with this like really messy graph. But to refine the animation, you have to go in there and like manipulate that graph to get little tiny details in it. And like, I will sit there and, you know, explain the graph editor. I'll ask them questions about it. They can answer the questions. And then I'll hand them the piece and I'll be like, all right, now animate this. And they'll just like stare at the graph editor and be like, wait, what do I do here? Like it's you can understand it in concept It's you, you do have to have your hands on it and it's, you have to screw it up and then do it again and then screw it up and then do it again. And, and eventually like you, we just, we're just this giant reservoir, you know, ingrained memories of how to not screw up that thing we've screwed up before. I remember this, this looks similar to the last time this put me in pain. <laughs> it caused me pain. I remember this pain. I remember this pain. Yeah. All right. Well, we're about out of time. So, we talked about a lot of stuff. We kind of chronologically went through things. And so you're chasing down tenure and you're happy with your decision. I know you are. Yeah, I am. 
Yeah. So what's next? What's next? Just know. the tenure and then just whatever. Uh, well, so I will, uh, this isn't necessarily a plug, but over the last month, some stuff has changed for me. So I, I'm still doing some freelance work. I want to keep doing freelance work. I'd like to sort of branch out a little bit out of the game industry and try some stuff, but that's going to take a little bit of reworking my demo reel a bit. But at the beginning of the semester, uh, I got the opportunity to take over as the graduate coordinator. So when I, when I went to ETSU, we had a master's of science program which wasn't a terminal program uh, over the last year or so we've implemented a an mfa program which is a, a terminal degree and i'm sure lee will remember like when i was there like most of my days was just spent complaining about the fact that it wasn't an mfa and so now that it is an mfa like i kind of feel invested and like i got to make sure this thing is successful uh so i took over the grad coordinator for that and that's going to take a, a a reasonable chunk of time but it's it's extremely fun time um, you know, like I, I mentioned that, like, you know, those high, high performing students in your classroom, like an MFA program is just those students and they are doing some incredible stuff, you know, like with, with an, an NFL team, uh, one person, I'm not going to say the name, they actually just got an internship with, uh, Epic. It's like Great. just some amazing stuff happening. And it's really cool to get to work with them and like, you know, See the see the the students who are like all of them are trying really hard and doing really cool stuff, but then there's a lot of elements to that that I've not dealt with before. I got to do advising, got to tell them which classes to take next, and I'm like, I don't know. Oh boy, yeah, I got to start. Dude, I got so many spreadsheets in my life. There's so many spreadsheets. Um, so yeah, it's got a lot of that. Um, and I think that's going to eat into a little bit of my ability to do freelance work. Um, at least for a. a couple more couple more weeks here or months here um but i'm hoping to uh maybe start branching out and doing a couple new projects before long um you know and who knows like i always say my my favorite project is my next project and we'll see what that is so i love it i should adopt that yeah my favorite project is my next project the unintended slight is that it's not my current project <laughs> that's oh no i was clear on that i was very clear like, yeah <laughs> the next one i want to abandon this one so i can move on to the next <laughs> i am great great at starting oh yeah stuff yeah. Uh, boy the the finishing is rough yeah. i will say i'm actually really excited one of my classes of i've re reworked it entirely and we've been just trying some new stuff so we're doing like doing some motion capture stuff we're getting ready to start that but uh we we spent last uh the first half of the semester doing a car chase uh scene in unreal and that turned out like so good. I was so excited about how that project turned out. So it's those little, uh, those little things that kind of boost you forward and be like, Oh yeah, this is working. I'm enjoying this. So. I like it. Well, I, Hey, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for asking. I appreciate I'm, I'm, it. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing who, uh, who, who else is on the list you've talked to and listen to those podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just getting started. Yeah. So I, you'll see. I, it's just interesting people, friends, family. It's just, yeah, people I want to talk to because now's the time. Yeah. I learned that from the pandemic, right? I did what I was supposed to do. I stayed in and it's been too long and I've lost connection with a lot of folks. And so this is, that's what this is for. Yeah. Um, it's for reestablishing that connection. So well, this is cool. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cool. All right. Well, Greg Marlowe, everybody. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Fish Shells. For show notes from this episode and more information about the show, visit leetrout.com. Music production by Haroon Sarang. We'll see you next time.